Welcome to Perceptions Today podcast, where we discuss consciousness in all forms. April 2022, episode 23, Aaron Voot joins us to discuss The Spirit in the Sky, part 3 of 3. Aaron Voot is a passionate researcher, along with being an author of The Spirit in the Sky, Ancient Cosmological Gods and Where in the World We Find Them, DMT, Deities, Myths and Tryptamines, and also Devolution Cycle. Now, I'll let you take over from there. Yeah, yeah. So I, I agree. Um, you know, I think that there's, um, you know, we have knowledge and exposure, and specifically, you know, my my background is with um, traditional Western herbalism. Um, you know, I have some understanding of some Chinese medicine and herbalism and Ayurvedic, but primarily, it's you know, I live in North America and it's Western herbalism. And you know, while I work with plants, and I I I appreciate and and see how they work and that they work. Um, I use... This is an instance of the conversation coming up in the roundtable discussion. Participants knew it was being recorded. It's, an, it's, it's like you're a Democrat or Republican. You know, you're either, you're in, either in this interesting game or you're not. And a lot of the guys I know, a lot of the doctors I know... Um, they know about DMT. I'll guarantee you that because they they do talk about it, but um, they don't connect it to mystical spiritual experiences that are transcendental. I mean, they just don't, and they think it's part of the chemistry of 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 consciousness, but they don't understand it, of course. And there's a there's such there's such a block between it's kind of like like the covid thing you know there's such a block between information anecdotal information scientific this you know they you know scientists are always claiming that they're open minded when the po- the point is they've never been open minded i mean they weren't open minded about einstein they weren't open minded about newton they weren't open about pasteur now, you know, I mean, Pasteur, you know, was destroyed for his theories. And so this contest between, God, I hate to use these words, you know, speculative science and real science with the italics, it gets so boring after a while that you know you just you just want to you just want to say hey guys can't we all just do this can't we just sit down and talk about this you know i i have dinner with these guys and i talk to them a lot and you know they they just they they just won't they won't budge they just won't budge you know they have their theories about my problem if that's for sure but um like what he was saying, you know, he has a lot of great information, and and there and there, I you know there are hundreds of books, and and um, I remember Tyson was talking about the fact that that if you go into the into the physics part of the library, you get about four or five books, and if you go into the mythological, you you know you UFO kind of thing, there are hundreds of books. And um, and that's true. I mean, that is true. Uh, but it, it's just such a shame that 
that we all have these built-in prejudices against open-mindedness when things have been going on, like like he said, for thousands of years. You know, it just can't be all coincidence, all accidents. It just can't be. There's got to be more to it. You know, there's a tribe in Africa, for instance, that what did they select as their home? Where did they come from? Orion. Now, they don't know about, they don't know Orion from anybody. But this tribe in Africa, Jung discovered them about 1901 or 1906 or something like that. And he and they said they pointed to Orion and said that's where we that's where we come from we come from there. Now why why would they say that? What's so special about Orion that you know that people like me supposedly come from Orion and and on and on and on. So I I think that that the conflict between podcasts like this and what Anthony does and what a lot of people do versus the hard science ones from the universities, which are pretty boring. Um, I don't know how you, how you close that gap. I, I really don't. I mean, the guys that I sit with are every kind of age. Some of them are old guys like me. Some of them are young, right out of medical school. Some of them are... Um, you know, have been in, in the business for like 15, 20 years and have seen, you know, all kinds of things. But um, it's it's just a shame that that information in an information age just can't be freely sh- shared without degradation and, and saying, oh, that's just nonsense. It's just nonsense. I, I think it's also the fear factor that people don't want to look like they might be stupid by presenting an idea which can't be backed up yet until more research has been put into it in a way to clarify it. Well, I think that's absolutely a fact. I mean, the very fact that I told that story 20 years ago, that's, I would never have told that story. Never. I never intended to tell that story because I would just get ridiculed for it. Or they were just people thinking, oh, he's just nuts. And or and then then if I mention epilepsy, they just, oh, it's just a product of the the brain tumor and it's just illusion and and all that kind of stuff. What's interesting, what's interesting about it is that the word Orion came out of a child's mouth who never heard that word spoken except yeah and you weren't around astronomers were you at that point no not at five years old and i and there was not and i didn't have a tv we didn't have a tv until i was like 10 there there was no tv so we had radio but that's it so definitely i think trent's got something to put into your conversation that you're asking go ahead yeah, I, I think I, I agree with you. I listen to so many podcasts and read so many books about this stuff that's, you know, things, I guess scientists would call it things we don't know. And then there's all these science podcasts that I, you know, I give it a hard shake and try and listen, but they're so boring. And it comes down to the fact that we just don't know very much. 
So going over what we know is like, that's what universities do. You know, we go over what we know and it's the very little amount of stuff. But then the fun conversations are when you're talking about things you don't know. And I think even scientists can be engaged on that. They just, they're always so, uh, the ones I listen to and read, they're, they're very focused on, you know, they have something that they've found and they want to share it. And I appreciate the hell out of that. But it's when you can get them on that rant about what they don't know, you know, they'll admit they don't know some things. Let's talk about that. That uh, you see a lot of them light up. And those are the ones that I love watching or listening to podcasts about, you know, hard scientists that come on to people that like to speculate and they, they get to loosen up a little bit. Even like uh, uh, Straussman, uh he was on the mind escape podcast and he like loosened up a bit, you know, he got to take off his, uh, scientist hat where he has to know certain things and got to put on his speculator hat and, uh, wildly speculate with the rest of us. That's always good to be true. I see Dr. M is also going to contribute to your conversation, Myron. Yeah. I mean, it's, when you when you listen to the the scientific because I listen to those too and I you know uh, because inside of inside of what they they say well when they finally get to well we really don't know then that's a step in the right direction I think when they say they really don't know and um, I know that at dinner with with some of my neurologist friends that they admit they don't have a clue. They don't know how to stop it. They don't, in some patients, they don't know how to deal with it. They don't understand the, the, the you know, Alzheimer's and MS and all of the neurological, that's the frontier of, of medicine. You know, you know, and I always ask them, why are you guys in this business? You can't cure anything. You you cure very little. Mostly uh, you, you just observe. You just answered that uh, it's a business that they are in. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. Ron. Hang on, oh. Doctor M. Your audio is a bit peculiar. Do you want to try that again? Yeah. What was that? I think he was just a bit sorry too far away from that. the mic. Uh, That's okay. Sorry about that. Is that is it better now? Keep talking for a bit, and then I will be able to okay. tell. Sure, sure. Um, yes, so clear. I, I, I didn't mean to um, interrupt you, Myron. Um, you said uh, you don't understand, uh, you know, why they're in this business. And I just uh, jumped in to say that uh, that's the reason. It's a business that they are in. Um, but, um, but generally, though, um, absolutely, there is, uh, you know, I mean, my, my uh, view as, as a person who you know, went to med school and did internal medicine is that... Um, uh, you, you know, we know uh, what we know is about a drop, and there is an ocean that we don't know. And um, after finishing undergrad, uh, my view, or, uh, as an out, you know, as a person who hadn't gone to med school yet, um, in my mind, I, I thought that um, medicine uh, knows more than it does now. That that uh, I can look back and and. Um, and have that knowledge that would make a person a doctor. Um, certainly, it's um, uh, gosh, uh, so much unknown. But there's also the problem of, um, you know, science is very much uh, a, a discipline that deals with obvious, um, obviously verifiable and agreeable external phenomenon, right? 
so it right. is not it is not meant to deal with um, uh, the things that um, would be either an inner experience or would uh, would not be easily repeatable and observable in a way, right? So I mean, this 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 limitation is you know is is by definition and by nature, but um, it is sometimes not acknowledged in the sense that. Um, an extremely scientific person, uh, a lot of the times, um, uh, just uh, begins even subconsciously to not not accept um, anything for which there is not scientific, quote unquote, scientific evidence or proof, and that uh, becomes a very uh, limiting thing for a person. It uh, it boxes us. Um, but I I did did want you know I have been uh, at work. Um, doing procedures on patients actually with one ear listening to everything that's been going on in this space. I just got out. I, w- I wish that I could speak earlier. I do have a couple of words on uh, psychedelics and DMT, but I don't want to cut my run off. So, um, so if there's an opportunity, I'll share. Yeah, I just wanted to finish up. And then it, the answer I got from the, from the doctors was, it's really interesting. That's why I do it. That's why I'm interested, because that's the frontier. You know, if we can solve those issues, you know, I mean, what good does it do to live to be 100 and 105, 110 if your brain goes? You know, then you're just you're just sitting around in a wheelchair. You know, it doesn't it just doesn't do you any good. So if they can fix all the plumbing. You know, a friend of mine just had open heart surgery and, you know, and he's fine. But. What if his brain goes? What if he gets Alzheimer's or or something like that? And um, so they they find it. You know, it's a fascinating field because it's wide open, and I think a lot of them are in it because of that. My wife was a neurologist, so um, and so I got a lot of that from them. But um, it's it's really interesting what they don't study. They don't study. Jung or Freud or any of those people. They just, they're not even in the curriculum. Even if you're going to be a psychiatrist, those people don't come up because it's all about medicine and prevention and treatment and things like that. That's, that's what they focus on in medical school. And in, that's what my, that's what my wife was taught. She, uh, Jung and, and Freud and all that were just there was a little, a few statements about it, and they just went on past it. This is at UCLA, so um, that's where she got her doctorate in uh, neurology. And um, uh, so it's, it, you know, it all that, all of that subjective, what they consider subjective psychiatry and psychology, was just eliminated from from the curriculum. They don't even teach it. You, you'd have to take a class over in psychology, maybe. You might get something over there, but you're not going to get anything in psychiatry from the medical profession. It's just not going to happen. She never did. You know, I had to give her my books and say, hey, read this. Read, read, read what Jung talked about. Read this. You know, and it's just for for someone like me who had always looked for answers his whole life, you know, um, and justification for the kinds of activities that go on inside of me for science to just blow it off and say, well, you know, we don't know. 
Um, I think I said, I, Paul, I think I said in another broad podcast that I was listening to a, a, a Nobel Prize winning physicist and, and he was asked, you know, some questions about the universe and how it's put together and this and that. And, and his answer was that we're just not smart enough. Now, that, yeah. that came from a Nobel Prize winner. So if he says we're not smart enough, he means it. You know, he, he says, you know, we just can't come up with the math to make this stuff work. You know, they, they anyway, it's just, a, it really bothers me when I hear what this gentleman said today and how dedicated he is to his information and, 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 and other writers as well that I've read. And then they're, they're just, you know, they're just put in a category of, yeah, well, you know, that's all just anagorical stuff and it's just speculative and it doesn't really mean anything. And then you, but, but you can put this in your, your, your broadcast if you want to. We did a, we did a poll of patients and their, their doctors, whether they like their neurologist or not. And out of a thousand patients that were polled, this is the Epilepsy Foundation doing this, uh, about 90% of them didn't like their doctor. And th I think the reason uh, that they didn't like their doctor is that their doctor never gave it to them straight. That's, that's the main reason, I think. Uh, even the parents, when I used to talk at, in, at these groups, I used to give these talks <coughs> To parents about about their you know about about uh, what was going on in in uh, uh, epilepsy and the foundation and and they were all very frustrated with science they they just they were just really frustrated and can you imagine what the neurologist must feel you know I mean after a while you get tired of answering the same question with I don't know. I don't I'm definitely know. with your empathy levels as well with yeah, what's going yeah. on there. Just some quick information for you. I've just heard from Richard saying that he really enjoyed the fact of the questions and the answers and the people turning up and listening, which is great. I have also been able to supply in the shared section three links, which is the Bill Donahue YouTube videos, which he was referring to. And oh, Bill cool. Donahue is talking about the religious text referring back into brain structures and also i put up there are in roots uh dmt De deities myths and tryptamine book where it says the good reads and gives a review and also a description of it and what was the other one that i put up there oh yeah led scranton on thursday which is coming along nice to see barfly haven't seen you for a while nice to see you brad as well and seska i think you were there or disappeared and also, I know, Dr. M, you were going to say something. Um, yes, thank you. Uh, gosh, um, I was going to, you know, uh, we have been talking about DMT, and even though it's been a few years out, um, back in my younger days, in my quote-unquote reckless days, you know, I, I tried all, all manners of psychedelics, um, Many, many times. Okay, for that to be kept in the podcast. Do you want me to edit that out? 
Ah, uh, no, that's completely okay. Okay, Why? good. Fine. Why? I was just uh, diving for numbers. And oh, play. no, no, no. Uh, of okay. course, no. I mean, it's, uh, I'm just share, sharing my truth. And, uh, that's fine. If anyone, if anyone has any judgments or thinks what they might, that's fine. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, no, definitely. I, I'm open about this. I mean, to me, uh, my uh, psychedelic experiences are... Um, a big part of everything that I am today. So even though I'm 34 now, I think uh, the last time I took any psychedelic, I was 2022. 20, so it's been 12 years um, since then. But um, uh, those substances, I have never regretted taking them. And actually for a few years after I stopped, um, I, I advocated for them. And then at some point I stopped and part of me wonders if, you know, well, I stopped advocating to the to the general everybody um, in, in terms of like uh, advertising psychedelics because I, I, I realized that maybe um, it's not for everyone. Um, but um, what I was going to say is that, um, you know, it's already hard enough to to put in words the experience that is um, the quote unquote trip, you know. But I was trying to think about how, because DMT is much more of an intense experience, um, um, I've been thinking about how to describe um, what was special with DMT over the other psychedelics. Um, it is um, definitely, at least for me, of course, I can only speak to my experience. Um, DMT was um, uh, the most psychedelic, the least, uh, the, the, the shortest lasting one. But uh, let me say it this way, um, with mushrooms or LSD and that sort of thing, um, you have, your perception is distorted, but, um, but you're still, the experience is that you're still perceiving and that perception is, is dramatically distorted depending on how much and what, what psychedelic you took. With DMT, um, uh, the experience comes close to the one time that I shared um, in the last space, it comes close to that out-of-body experience. And what I mean by that is that um, uh, rather than uh, being in my body and feeling and perceiving everything and then uh, feeling that that perception is distorted, it was more um, a sense of uh, being that distortion myself, which is, um, which is really, um, really strange. Um, uh strange in a in a um a wonderful amazing way um i think a anyone gosh uh, yeah would, would benefit um from the psychedelics um uh, should they uh, be a seeker um i think they should also be educated along those lines beforehand yes. discussing yes. Uh, what you know body because obviously you got people with medical conditions and all kinds of bits in between and it would be you know an educational bit first not just dive in to whatever substance oh, you find because <laughs> that right. just be yeah, wrong no they, sh they should not be taken lightly absolutely and that i mean this is the reason that i stopped uh openly advocating for them you know at maybe 25 years old was um was that i realized they should not be taken lightly and then also they're not for everyone and then it is also true that, you know, um, you may have, uh, you know, uh, heard of the, the bad trip um, and, and the um, idea that as amazing and wonderful as a good experience on psychedelics can be when it goes the other way around, 
it's also that intensely in the other direction and bad. And I've had those two actually just one time ever. Um, and that's the, um, you know, I stopped taking them after that experience. But, um, but that's certainly another, um, how do you know, liability. Um, just to quickly ask you about that. And then obviously so, I'm going to find out because obviously Myron and Trent have got questions to go in with that. Obviously, you've read up on the shamanic experience where, say, for example, if you're using ayahuasca, you go through the destruction of the personality of how bad you've been to other people before showing how you can change your life around as long as you've started off with the intention with how do I change this? For example, if you were an alcoholic and you went into the ayahuasca experience on how can I get rid of my alcoholism and then you'd go through and it sort of stripped down your personality and then show you the way out of it. But it would seem like a bad trip, that middle part where you get that hard reality check. Was it that kind of thing or not? You know what it was for me? Um, so I've only, you know, from probably 200 times of uh, psych uh, separate times of uh, psychedelic experiences, we're talking about one time that there was a bad trip and this it was on mushrooms. What it was, um, uh, perception, it was the uh, feeling and the realization on mushrooms that one time that um, uh, I was, you know, the world, it, everything around me was so beautiful. And it was just this feeling of not guilt, but the um, realization that why do I need, um, uh, uh, why do I take this substance in order to experience what is? So this is, this is how I was feeling, but, um, uh, uh, at, you know, during the experience, um, so it was downward spiraling with a feeling of like, oh my God, there is so much beauty, but this beauty is, and that I should, I shouldn't need, um, a substance to experience it, um, and and then I just kept thinking that, and it, uh, and it was um, uh, uh, and it lasted a long, long time, and it was just. Um, Hang on, I'm just going to check. And Did your audio? To, um, go. Um, right. This uh, it's not guilt. Yeah. Oh yes. No, sorry. At one point, your audio sounded like it was being a bit metallic. -y. Now I just want to check to see if Myron has got his hand up for a question, or if not, then it's Trent that's got uh, a question. Well, Trent can go ahead. I, I have a, I have another question, but it, okay. Trent can go ahead. I, I figured I'd just chime in. You guys are talking about my favorite things, so uh, I, I feel like uh, DMT experiences it is it's something different and i've done the you know 15 gram heroic doses of mushrooms that people told me would be the same thing where you kind of lose the consciousness or you lose the your body and you know you have an experience outside of it and it definitely you know it definitely has a profound impact and it, that experience was amazing and hard and difficult but it still wasn't anything like dmt dmt is in a category all its own on in my opinion there's just there's nothing like that it, it is uh shattering and i did it the wrong way as many people would say um so would you say it's like if you were doing mushrooms or is the equivalent of using crayons and then suddenly trying to read that and then if you do dmt it's the equivalent of reading like tolstoy 
you get so much more information out of it. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know how to how to compare, explain it. It just it had nothing to do with it, not not nothing to do. It, it wasn't just the fact that it was me taken out of and dissociated from my physical reality. It, there's more to it than that. There's a voice that I've never experienced anywhere else. There's a you know, there's there's meaning that's flowing to you from all sorts of things that would be meaningless elsewhere, which is why it's so hard to describe and words fail you and images fail you. For me, I like wanted to talk about it forever and I couldn't find the words. And then I tried to draw and paint and create beauty that I experienced in it. But the meaning is lacking then. And music, I've found music that really speaks to the DMT experience, but it still doesn't get there. And then I even dove into 3D animation stuff because I said, okay, well, if I can't paint it and get the feeling, maybe if I had a VR experience, uh, a metaverse experience of DMT, could that could that get it there? And, he, and I can only brush and touch that area yet, but I already know it's not, it's not the whole thing because the whole thing is with, <laughs> without and within all at the same time. It's a... Uh, it's such a unique experience, and I I understand uh, Doctor M's comment saying that that you get mad at yourself. Like, why do I need this to experience it? But I guess I've come to the point where it's if you want to experience that, that's how you do it. And it's it, it sucks that I can't just make my pineal gland produce and dump DMT whenever I want, but I can go, uh, you know harvest a plant and get well, that just about in trent yeah if you talk to artesian of the spirit as in shadow fox she's been telling me that her light work can cause the same effect as a luthia light uh machine yeah and i've i've played with the light machines well no she says that her sound work her light work she can teach you how to do that endogenously through yeah. your own system rather than having to use a plant. So it'd be interesting to get novices who have got no knowledge to people who have done almost everything yeah. and get Shadow Fox to see if she can break it down in simple ways for us to learn that. And then we can all compare notes. Yeah. No, I, and I have, I, in my search, I've tried to find, find ways to get there. Otherwise, you know, for me, that's been super important because my kids are young and I want them to understand what they're, why their dad's so weird, you know, and I can't give them DMT, but if I, you're not them... weird, you're just one of special <laughs> people. Yeah. So, but I've wanted to find ways and I've tried like holotropic breathing and, you know, all these different methods, deep meditation, uh, yoga, and I've I've done the exploring to see how can I touch that without the plant. But the message, the message I keep getting slammed in the face with is why not the plant? It's there and it's uh, it's bringing it to us. This experience is brought to us by another, what I consider sentient being on this planet, and uh, I don't have to have it all inside me. I can. Uh, I can reach out and get help. Sometimes that's from a friend. Sometimes that's from, uh, you know, a stranger. And other times it's from a plant. 
and that plant is going to give you that experience, whether you're its friend or not, uh, whether you believe in it or not, whether you, you know, respect it or not, it's still going to give you that experience. And that's, it's a pretty miraculous freaking thing. And I love, I love RN's connection to Acacia. And then I chase that, chase that down the rabbit hole. PD Newman goes into it, the whole, uh, uh, history of of masonry and how it's built on this osiris acacia myth and that's that's just astounding throughout human history this plant has brought us to some crazy places uh and yet it's got to be hidden and it always has to be hidden and i i hate that it has to be hidden i want to scream it from the rooftops and tell everybody you know it Oliver Sacks was working on it big time before he passed away. And because I, I was working with him. And I don't know if you know who Oliver Sacks is or not, but uh, he's a neurologist who's written a lot of books. And, and, and he does, he did really, really pioneering research in a lot of areas. And he took all of those drugs that, you, that, that everybody talks about. In fact, I've taken a few of them myself. And uh, it's interesting that, that, my experience is I don't need any, any, any drug at all. I, I, when I, when I took ayahuasca, that didn't do anything. And when I took uh, peyote, that didn't do anything. And uh, any, anything that I don't already have because of this tumor in my head, I think that, I don't know if that's a, a doorway or what it is, but, uh, what everybody describes, I already see it anyway. So I don't need to take any drugs. And, and Oliver Sacks and I were going to work on that. And then he passed away, unfortunately. And um, so it, it's, it's, it's interesting that, and there are, I know that there are uh, Sufis and, and certain teachers who have those experiences without any drugs using meditation but it, it takes years but they do it and um and the and and the i i agree with you that that the experiences on certain substances like ayahuasca or peyote or something are nothing like dmt nothing because what i what happened to me when i took those others i didn't I didn't get anything out of those that would be even close to what I get in my normal uh, reactions to uh, uh, yeah, you want to call it seizure, call it seizure, you know, visualization, hallucination, whatever it is. Um, I, I, I wouldn't trade what I get out of that with any of those experiences. I think that what I what I experience is a DMT experience. And I don't know if it's because my brain somehow is connected to the DMT that's in it and it, and it makes it work. I don't know. And uh, no one has been able to figure that out either. None of the doctors or anybody, but um, I do know that I have, I have some of the things that everybody talks about. I have no fear of death at all. Uh, and I'm getting closer to death every day. I mean, I'm, I'm almost, I'm pushing 80. So, um, uh, and, and I've seen things and, and, and that were just 
overwhelmingly gorgeous and wonderful and life-changing. I mean, there are places I've been and seeing things that I've seen that I, when people talk, when I read when, when I read accounts of people that have been on DMT, I go, yes, okay. They're seeing the same things that I have seen. And, um, and it, it's kind of, I don't understand why. I, I have asked, I've asked a lot of people, <clears throat> uh, since I see hundreds of thousands over the 20 years I've been working in epilepsy, I've seen probably pretty close to 25,000 uh, patients of one kind or another. And uh, a lot of those people have similar experiences with mine and not exactly the same, but, ex but very similar. Not a lot of, not all of them because they don't all have TLE and, and they'd all have, and, and it has to be in a certain place. And, and mine happened to be, mine happens to be in the hippocampus and all that stuff. So, um, when I think when 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 you take DMT, I think it it opens that door of perception in a very unique way, and it has nothing to do with with a psychedelic. A psychedelic is a whole different a whole different experience because I've done both, and I'm here to tell you that that uh, my experiences I wouldn't trade that for any psychedelic experience that I've had. Because they're just they're just they're just not interesting enough, and they're not complete enough, and they're not they don't make you feel like you know like you're part of the universe. I mean, they're just so. When I do my art, which is a reflection of what I see and all that stuff, you know, it it's like I get to relive it over and over and over again by by just looking at the images and. Um, and it's it's a shame that that science isn't real. Maybe science is pounding on DMT a lot more than they're talking about, because uh, there were people like like Oliver Sacks who were he was going to go big into research on DMT, or he already had, and he had taken every drug that there was to take. So. I'm just going to pause you there because Dr. M has had his hand up for a while and then is down. Yeah, so they ahead. might have got something to introduce into your topics that you've just been talking about. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, oh no, sorry. I um, I haven't been looking at the screen and didn't realize my hand was still up. Um, I okay. okay. I think I, I did have something, but um, it's long gone. So if I remember, I'll you can always put it up again. later. Absolutely. Uh, down. I don't know. I can't get. First yeah. time sitting and talking to you, so I'm going to have to yeah. ask you a few questions. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, how did you find quick, us? <laughs> I just stumbled upon you, uh, but real quick, I mean, the whole psychedelic experience, the DMT experience. Um, I'm curious what people feel about, you know, like Richard Alpert, who did a lot of different substances, and then at the end, he pretty much abandoned all of them, and he went towards meditation and and spirituality and i'm just curious why that happens sometimes as opposed to just seeking out the substance so i would be curious everyone's thoughts on that because i i'm interested in richard albert and um, how he processed information and timothy o'leary and all that so 
Excellent. You stumble in the right room. Can I just quickly get a bit of a clue about yourself? Because obviously I can tell you that if you stumbled in here, we talk about consciousness in all forms. We have different people that come and talk, whether it be from traumatic brain injuries or we start talking about things which are lucid dreaming or we go into plant cognition and intelligence and what is reality all those kind of things we have a podcast da, da, da. we're interested in psychedelics da, da, da. lots of things that we like to discuss so does this fit with yourself and roughly well, where did you kind of well, fit I, in the world physician. and where in the world are you roughly give or take yeah, i'm a physician and i i um, handle a lot of people who are dying of cancer Okay. And, uh, so I, I'm, you know, I'm all, all ears about trying to soften suffering and make their experience in this plane as as relevant and meaningful as possible. Uh, so that that's really what drew me in. Superb. Know. Yeah. So if you like the kind of content, follow us because we've got other people talking as well that come up and we've got events. But I'm going to hand you over to Trent Stevens of Continuing the Conversation, who's T-Rex, and knows a lot about this as well as Dr. M as well. I, I guess what I would add is, or how I would respond to that is, those guys got the message from those drugs, and then they're like me search and search to find another way and i i truly believe richard albert uh found another way to get there and he tried to teach others and get them there but i've heard him say it uh, in speeches where you know it's a lot of work it's a whole lot of work like i i'm a, a handyman jack of all trades um and I'll rip a whole house apart to try and solve one tiny little problem. But then my wife will come in who knows nothing about electricity and I will have taken a whole electric box apart and she'll notice that whatever I was frustrated by wasn't plugged in. And I guess that's how I'd like relate it is you can do 20 years of deep meditation and remove yourself from society and, and holotropic breathe and light work and all that. And I, and I think there's great value in that. But to get the message, all you have to do is, is in, ingest a plant in some way. Uh, so it's, it's like a shortcut. And they've all, I've heard all those great minds talk about the shortcut. And they seek to find a way to not need it. And it's, it, those methods help them get there. But none of them got there on the natch. They found the way to. They found the way to get there on the natch, but they they started with a kick to the pants. And I, for me, it was stubbornness. Like I could never have sat down and meditated for fifteen minutes. And now I meditate hours a day, but because I've been kicked in the pants by this thing, and I I don't think it's something you need to turn to like every day. I think it's it's a powerful catalyst. It doesn't make changes. It doesn't change you. It's a powerful catalyst that kicks you hard square in the pants and makes you perk up. And then from there, what you do with that message is that's on, that's up to you. That's uh, really encouraging, but I have a question. Yeah. I, I mean, this is very, very interesting and very uh, encouraging. The question is, and I, I don't know how much, um, you know, non-dualism or Advaita meditation um, philosophy you've 
you've engaged with. But how do we know that none of this is just not an illusion that we're being attracted to because of our ego space? It is an illusion, right? Right, right. (laughs) As opposed to the real thing, you know, so that that's curious, right? Uh, How do you how do you know you're not getting trapped in the experience? Yeah. There's a lot of us who've had head injuries who have been kind of bounced out of, let's just say, your body for a while, and you're actually picking up images without having physical <laughs> optical sensors and things like that. And that's quite fascinating as well to put into the encounter. And those that have, when we've been discussing near-death experiences, again, not having, okay, when we've been discussing it, there's like 17 different um areas that you can have that can actually qualify as a near-death experience, but you don't actually have to physically die, and it doesn't have to be for minutes. It can be like, you know, fractions of seconds and things like that. So it's quite amazing how, like, time stands still. You get recognition about the events. So you don't have to have the drug. Well, the drug is going to be released into your system through stressing environments like death, like DMT is put through because it overpowers, obviously, the liver enzyme. And you get shown these other things. And there's enough of us that we've been talking about have seen these things, whether it be fractions of seconds, car accidents, or full-blown you know, operating table routine. So that you have to put that into the mix to uh, say there's more than just the psychedelic in the plants as well, don't you, Trent? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I yeah. think that I think that in my case, um, my proof of the experience is not just being a hallucination brought on by brain tumor. Is um, it's actually it's visceral. In other words, I'm actually pulled into it. Now, okay, you can say that's an illusion too. I mean, you can you can rationalize anything you want, but when when I'm pulled into an experience, I mean, literally pulled into it, I I feel it. I start. It starts with my body sitting, and then all of a sudden, I am being pulled into this experience, and then I'm in it. Now. That doesn't. It isn't. It doesn't feel like that's coming from my brain. It's coming from my solar plexus and my body, and it goes. And there are a lot of meditators in India that have that same experience. Now, if they have the same experience, and it's exactly the same experience, then that means that the brain is triggered by something, and whatever they're doing in their meditation is triggering it. So, so there's validity to the fact that. It's there, and it does produce certain kinds of experiences. And in my case, when it's coming, I can feel it coming from like far off. Like I had one day before yesterday that I did a painting of, but um, I can feel it like it's it's coming. And Dostoevsky, the writer, talks about that too. That you can feel like it's it's coming. It, it's 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 headed your direction. You just know it's headed your direction. And then all of a sudden... Yeah, because you call that the aura then, don't you? You call that yeah. an aura. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden you get an aura is, is really a seizure. They just call it an aura. But anyway, the uh, uh, so you feel it coming and then it, it, then it arrives or it doesn't arrive. Sometimes it doesn't arrive and sometimes it does arrive. And when it does, it starts pulling 
my body towards it and I go right into it and then I'm in it and I'm not getting out of it until it's over. And I don't want to get out of it. As a matter of fact, I would like to stay there forever. Um, I would be perfectly happy doing that. Um, but I have things to do and that's a big subject. But my point is that, that Dostoevsky was asked if we could cure your auras, your seizures, would you, would you take a cure? And he said, absolutely not. I absolutely would not because the things I feel are so magical and so wonderful and so transpersonal and so. Myron, I think your audio is going a bit peculiar. I'm just going to check with Krista. Krista, can you hear him properly? Um, no, he's kind of going in and out. I yeah. thought maybe it was my reception. Yeah, I just always like to check with, uh, otherwise people lose content. So if we go to Dr. M and then obviously self Krista and then Trent, and then we try and get Myron back with the right audio once we try and figure out what goes on. Um, are you okay being referred to as down and out? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. I've just put into your direct messaging box in Twitter three different videos which you might enjoy, might not, but they're full of information. They're the standard three that I tend to give to people to just get a grounding of where we're talking and where we're looking at on consciousness and other medical bits and related to um, anesthesiology and where consciousness is and things like that. So if they sound okay that. to you, you might yeah, enjoy them. Good. Yeah, yeah. So Don't I have, have to come though. back. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Quick question. So if you have an internal receptor pathway that you can engage with with an external plant, we know that that receptor agonist exists internally, endogenously. We just have to figure out how to get there, correct? Definitely, like the CB1 and CB2 receptor yeah. cells in the brain when you're going through that way. I want to make sure that obviously Dr. M, Krista and Trent obviously get back to you and then we get Myron in. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Sure, thanks again. Um, you know, down, uh, uh, what is the account name? Down, out. Um, you know, you, you, you said, um, you know, what, how do you know that it's, um, it's not an illusion, um, like the psychedelic, psychedelic experience? You know, I think one of the things that um, psychedelics do for a person that has never, or again, just did for me as, uh, as compared with when I had never taken them was um, this realization um, that there is no reality outside of uh, perception of it, right? And, and I mean, it's even, you know, it's very rational because considering that you only get to live inside yourself for your lifetime and that it's not possible for you to experience, um, you know, all that is from any, any other person's vantage point, then really your perception is, is the reality. So to your question of, you know, what if it's an illusion, so the psychedelic experience, like, let me say it this way, right? So when you take that substance and the things that, that um, uh, uh, you feel um, and that you see are, um, are very much real to you, right? To the, and if the whole world, if the 8 billion people were to say that, no, this synesthesia you're experiencing or this visual hallucination you're having or auditory hallucination you're having is not happening, it wouldn't really change anything about the realness of that experience for for a person and then ultimately um our, our perception is neurochemically and uh, electrically mediated right 
Um, so um, uh, that system is set up the way that it is in the composition of the body and in the working of, of our, uh, uh, I guess, sensory systems, right? But, it, but, but we can't be fooled into thinking that there is um, uh, a reality out there that is independent of our perception, right? Um, I mean, at least that's how I feel. Um, but before taking any psychedelics, I really thought that, no, you know, there is a, uh, an objective reality out there um, that um, uh, is independent of my perception. Now, there is uh, agreed upon reality and, and science really really is a, is a discipline that um, is, it deals with um, only the things that are outwardly and obviously and repeatedly um, uh, observable or, or, or able to be perceived and agreed upon. Um, someone mentioned that these substances are a shortcut to understanding or you know in a paraphrasing I don't know what they exactly said. I think that's very true. Um, someone else mentioned that, um, you know, the idea that was that, Trent. Uh, Trent. Okay. Yes. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, okay. I, I haven't been looking at the screen. So I, I, I keep um, an eye on what's going on. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, it, it is that, you know, um, they are a shortcut, right? Because I, that has been my experience too, right? So I took many psychedelics from 18 to 22 and then have not taken it for 12 years. Now there's two things. Those visual hallucinations, auditory hallucinations, and synesthesia, which that one not everyone experiences, right? There is these are the tempor these are temporary um, alterations for the basically duration of the action of that drug, which is you know in the order of hours. But the understanding and the epiphanies about life, about yourself, the understanding of um, the connection that you feel between everything that is the feeling that you're not separate from everything else that that what you used to formally formerly maybe think of as um, yourself being the where the border is the you know the uh, your body you know the, your your skin let's say um, uh, that sort of an uh, of, a, of an understanding that you are connected um, and that really what's out there is in some way. Um, you know, a part of yourself. Um, basically, the wonder and the understanding of the beauty of existence, the, this part of those experiences is permanent, right? So for me, it's been 12 years out now, and I really, um, the non-hallucination parts, which is everything else I just tried to kind of speak to, those are uh, in, my, in my part of my being and part of my... Um, uh, understanding as fresh as they were one month out from my psychedelic experiences, and and so and I and I have heard this from others too. I don't know if um, uh, I mean I, I, I built and what is it? Steve Jobs and uh, I'm not sure if it was Bill Gates, but possibly um, you know there is many folks um, whether famous or not is irrelevant, but that have taken these things at some point early in life and that have. Um, had their epiphanies, you know, but then uh, at some point they never really had a reason to um, to take the substance again. Adam Watts sense. said you hang up the phone once you get the message, and that was one of the big quotes. Yes, 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 exactly, exactly, yeah, uh, very much so. Um, so, uh, and, you know, to me, yeah, okay, you know, the, the, it is different to experience a distorted perception or a synesthesia or an auditory hallucination 
sure, that's interesting. That could be intriguing to many people. But to me, the reason I would ever advocate psychedelics is the rest of the things that I that I um, try to speak about, you know, that understanding of really yourself and and uh, really the unity um, with, uh, you know, with all that is. Um, uh, that's um, an incredible thing to uh, experience and it stays with you, you know, for in 12 years, um, though that part of it has not been at all um, uh, forgotten or um, uh, it almost, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's like when you have a vivid dream that you wake up from and then you thought the dream was reality, but then you wake up and the real world feels less real than the dream and it takes you a minute to actually like um, kind of get used to that this is, you know, the waking life is actually reality. It's kind of, um, it's kind of like that. And I think that's incredible that you can take a substance, something with so little effort and to take away so much permanently from it. That's a good point. I'm just going to give a call that in the next half hour, I'll be closing the room. So I just want to make people aware of that. So I kind of brief answers and questions, Krista. Hello. Sorry. Yeah, I'm here. Um, yeah, good. I guess. I, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I'll just pause. Piggy- <laughs> I had to get back to the app to unmute That's my fine. mic. <laughs> I just thought, yeah, pick the wrong person. Um, yeah, I'll just piggyback on what Dr. M said. Um, and, uh, down and out, I, um, you know, it was, I, um, can you repeat the question about the meditation and the plants? Cause I, I wanted to give an answer and then, uh, you know, it's been a while enough where I don't want to answer something that maybe you weren't asking. Can you just repeat it? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, thank you. Yeah, you know, I've never actually taken any substance outside of alcohol. But what I had was I had a remarkable experience in meditation that has brought me to a place like, you know, Dr. M talked about. And um, so the, the thing that the reason I asked the question, the question was, why not go after the endogenous, um, you know, um, substance as opposed to um, utilizing an external substance? Because everything that has a receptor that is, there's an agonist for, from an external point of view, has that same uh, agonist internally so why not go through that route because then you can really be sure that the experience you're having is is tempered by your awareness that's really what i was going after um that i'll let you take over from there yes yeah so i i agree um you know i think that there's um you know, we have knowledge and exposure and specifically, you know, my, my background is with, um, traditional Western herbalism. Um, you know, I have some understanding of some Chinese medicine and herbalism and Ayurvedic, but primarily it's, you know, I live in North America and it's Western herbalism. And, you know, while I work with plants and I, I, I appreciate and, and see how they work and that they work, um, I use, um, and I have used psychedelics in the past and, you know, I have, have been on my own spiritual path my entire life. I don't think that they are kind of the end game to get to this point. And I, while I think that you can use them to get a, to get an idea of what, 
um, truth and realization can be. I think that you can kind of take like a helicopter flight to see what the top of the mountain looks like. But ultimately, um, I feel like doing doing work like meditation is what re- actually carries you up to the mountain, if that makes sense. Uh, I, 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 seeing how medicine, natural herbal medicine works, you were, you were kind of, the, the plant is being an ally carrying you on a journey, but there's a certain point where you have to get off and finish it. And while I think there's a place for it to help people, like Trent said, kind of give, give you a kick in the pants, um, it's just kind of pushing you along and being that catalyst. But f- for me, it, it is uh, that you do have to kind of get to it humbly in a way. And, and, and meditation is a new practice for me. But meditation has been a practice of acceptance where you're not trying to stop thoughts. You are accepting thoughts and, and accepting where you're at and accepting things that come through. And I, I don't feel like you can really truly do that if you're getting there on the coattails of, of um, an external substance, if that makes sense. You know, I really agree with that. You know, I, I think that, that Westerners, for some reason, don't want to do the hard work that it takes to, to maturation of these, of these experiences. It's one thing to have an experience that, that, gives you this euphoria and lack of fear of death and all that maybe once or twice. And it's another thing to make it, you know, uh, an educational, total internal transformational experience that most people don't want to spend the time to do because there is a, there's a cost to that. I mean, it takes it time, you know, it takes time, you know, and, and, I wish I had a, I could find a doctor who could explain to me how I could be out eight hours. I mean, you know, I have a seizure and the seizure can't last more than two minutes or three or you're in, you're, you're going to be dead. So uh, I, I come out of the seizure and my, uh, my consciousness is altered sometimes six and seven and eight hours. And I see another dimension, another world for, for that long and no one has been able to explain that. Um, no, no one. And so, where where does my brain go when I'm there? When when I'm at, when I'm in that other reality? I wish somebody could explain it to me. I mean, I've got mystical explanations by the dozens, but I don't have any scientific explanation by anyone. Um, any any neurologist at any level has never been able to explain to me how in the world I could have altered consciousness for eight hours. You know, it's kind of like, you know, like like if you if you have a, a concussion. You know, I I always use the Steve Young analogy. You know, you. Myron, your audio is going in and out at the moment. Okay, I don't I'm know what right, right different at the moment. Meanwhile, while that try and get sorted out, we'll get T-Rex in and then get back to yourself, obviously, down now. Okay. Well, I, uh, I appreciate all those comments. I think that's uh, spot on. I, uh, you can see the top of the mountain with, those, with these substances, but uh, that's not the goal, right? You don't just want to stand on top. Of, like climbing Everest, nobody climbs Everest to live there. 
um, they climb Everest for a change of perspective or some achievement for themselves or someone else. They, then we don't we don't get there to stand on top of the mountain forever. We do it because the perspective that we gather from there is it's life changing, like life changing completely. And I agree that getting there on the Natch often becomes many many psychedelic fanatics that that's becomes the goal is how do i get there on the natch how do i do it without the exogenous and do it all endogenously it it becomes like uh it can become addictive just trying to find that way there and i i don't even think that's the whole point um i i really look at it as this catalyst and it's not something that like i haven't partaken in years uh, maybe a year now uh, cause I just had the, the phone didn't need to ring. I had the message I needed. My life has become completely different than it was pre DMT. And, uh, sometimes though, my stubborn, my stubborn self needs that kick again. You know, sometimes, uh, the message gets blurry. I get blown off track and, and I've tried so hard to build tools to get me back there. And that's how, you know, I, I have very strong uh, meditation practice and I, I have a lot of other tools, modalities that I've used to kind of ground me to remain where I understand that everything around me is the divine and, and appreciate that and love that and love it. Love, just love. Can I ask you, Trent, if you're moving around or not? Not at all. I'm sitting still. Okay. <laughs> it seems that the problem that Myron had has been transferred to you. <laughs> Could you put yourself on mute and then take yourself off mute and then talk? See if that clears yours up. Yeah, we'll try that. Okay. That was all. Uh, that was just all a long rant. My real question was asking. I guess the room, but Myron as well, uh, having to do. Oh, hang with- on, before you ask a question. We're, you were referring back to Down and Out, and Down and Out got his hand up. Let's just check with Down and Out if what you said was right, and then we can throw what you've got to the rim, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, really quickly, um, you just triggered my thought here. Uh, so, you know, that space of love that you realize everything around you is part of you, that kind of spiritual process you know, you, you, you have that and you, it changes you for good. You, you never ever go back to the cynical person that you may have been, but then you deal with somebody who's extremely, extremely cynical. How shelter yourself from the negativity that seems. So I'm curious how. Don't tell me we lost down and out. Hang on one second down and out. I think we lost about three or four seconds of what you were saying. So, yeah, just curious how you handle that. How do you engage with folks around you who haven't got there? So I'm curious what other people think because I, I like about and also the last speaker who spoke, you know, you find this space of love and everything around you is just this immense beauty all the time. But then you have people who aren't seeing it that way and they are all about, you know, greed, power, et cetera, et cetera. So curious what people think. So I'll personally chime in and say, 
I, I have to be able to ground myself and remember that that frustrating person in front of me, just like you said, is part of me. They're having an experience and it's built on, it's built on whatever their experience was. And as frustrating as their behavior might make me, I have to recognize the divine in them and realize if I truly believe this is all one and we're all one, that's me right there having a bad day. And, and also, it's not possibly the right time for them as well. You can't right. be harsh on them. You got to either repitch the idea in a different way, or just go okay, and then step back and wait for another time because they might not have had enough life experience to make them appreciate what you're saying or what others say or where you're directing them. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess what I was going to get back to, and I appreciate everything that everyone has said. But ultimately, the finger always ends up pointing back at me. And I don't know how other people have had the same experience. They have, Wait a second. I'm the one who's being judgmental about <laughs> that person. Amen. Preach. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? <laughs> yeah, man. I can't change anyone. I can only change myself. So there's only one way to even approach it. <laughs> That's right. That is right. Yep. Yep. Okay, well, I'll I'll step back and let somebody else speak. And also for yourself, Darren, now, I've also put into your direct messages. There's a woman who obviously is in one of the three videos that I've put there is Dr. Penny Satori. She wrote a book which is called The Transformative Powers of Near-Death Experiences. And she and another woman who attempted suicide when she obviously realized what had happened and come back, they obviously went and talked to all, a few other people as well. And a lot of people ditched the kind of materialism and looked at ways of helping others along the way. And when they kind of review, reviewed the experiences they had, you know, kind of in a time period after that, they were still in the same state. They hadn't actually reverted back again. You know, they kind of how the whole viewpoint had changed. Krista? I was just going to uh, answer down and out. Um, you know, at, the, at this point, um, I, I kind of just, uh, I just, I kind of chuckle and laugh when you, cause you, I keep coming back to Plato's cave. You can't describe that the shadows are the illusion when you've been out. And so you, when you come back into the cave and you're surrounded by people that haven't escaped yet, you just have to kind of laugh, you know, and, and accept that people are exactly where they're at on their journey. There's nothing you can do to force people to walk out of the cave to see the illusion. Um, you, know, you know, if you think about it, when you when the Dalai Lama is interviewed, not one word comes out of his mouth about the Chinese. Not any negative, nothing negative about the Chinese who killed most of his people uh, murdered them. And you hear me saying it, he would never say that. He, he's, he's just not there. He, he doesn't think of them that way. He, he never is negative about the Chinese. And he has every right to be. You know, he's on a death list for them. If he were to come I, I back actually, to China, yeah. they would arrest him. I actually him. had a conversation with him once, and he actually said, you have to help them. That's yeah, what. <laughs> exactly. 
I mean, that's the difference between this prolonged spiritual experience and some mountaintop thing that changes you for a while, or maybe, you know, I mean, most people, most religions, you know, you can have mountain mountaintop experiences, even without drugs, if you go to conventions and stuff, and, and, and there's a lot of teaching, and there's a lot of prayer, and there's a lot of fasting, and there's, you know, there's a lot of wonderful spiritual events that you can go to. And when you're there, man, you, your life changes. And then you go back to work, and then the phone rings, and you've got to deal with all this stuff, and you've got to deal with all this crazy stuff that, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, the Dalai Lama doesn't bother him one way or the other about how the world is going, because that's not part of his his consciousness. He's uh, he's completely removed from the the drama and angst of that of that. So something is different when you do this over long periods of time and you stay with it. I don't mean taking drugs. I mean take, going on the the experience, taking that walk down the road, as Joseph Campbell would say. You know, I mean, there there's something it does to you that makes you different than other people. You don't have the same kind of reactions. You don't have the same kind of hate or or mistrust or whatever whatever negative you want to come up with. And there's got to be a reason. <laughs> you know, I mean, for all of the thousands and thousands of Indians in India who meditate their whole lives, they're not the same people that a lot of Westerners are. I remember when the 60s, when everybody ran over to India to become enlightened all of a sudden, they, I guess they thought they were going to, and then they'd come back and they'd just be who they were because they didn't want to do that long, hard work. They didn't want to sit and meditate. They didn't want to do any of that stuff, you know, and, and it just faded and they went back to work and and, they, and their lives went on. And because uh, I lived through that generation and uh, most of that stuff just faded into just little groups like this. Well, it's and, a practice, you know, you, it's like having a houseplant. You can buy the houseplant and you can take pictures of it, but it will die if you don't water it and give it fertilizer and move it around and, and give it a, a bigger pot as it grows. I mean, it, it's, it is a, it's a language. You have to nurture it. And, you know, it's, it, some people might feel like they don't have time for something like a meditation or a practice or even an exercise regime. And it's not that you don't have time, it's you don't make time for it. So people that right. make time for this kind of, exploration and you're you're strengthening it like a muscle or honing your antenna or sharpening your saw whatever metaphor you want to use it is a continuous thing that should be folded into your daily life if you want it to continue and grow and expand and you can't just buy a book and have it on your shelf and feel like you're enlightened that's kind of again you just have to chuckle like you know maybe the person that does that will get there eventually maybe they won't maybe it's not in their cards this time around to get there so I don't disparage anybody wherever they are in their path. If they're crossing my path, they're doing it for a reason. Usually, like Trent said, it's or down and out said, it's the finger points back at you. It's a reflection of wherever you're at. So again, like acceptance and compassion for other people, and and don't don't cast your judgment against them because you really are just judging yourself because you were once there too. Sure, no no question about it. You know, and and. There's just something about that path that 
changes the way that you judge the world. You know, even even you know, you know, Christ said, you know, love your enemies, love those that hate you. And um, you know, when you hear those phrases, you just kind of go, Yeah, right. That that's sure that's sure gonna work. Well, it does work. <laughs> you know, I mean, there are there are people that do feel that way. They don't judge their enemies. They don't they don't hate their enemies. They love them. They want them to be better. They want them to be free. They want them to be, you know, to be to be part of the thing that they want more than they really want to be, you know, their 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 negativity, so to speak. And um and I agree with you, you know, you, you take the, so you take the drug and you have the experience and then you go about your life. Well, maybe the experience, you know, many are called, but few are chosen. There's a scripture in the Bible that says that. I think that the DMT can call you, but if you don't do anything with it, it'll be taken from you. That's what the universe does the same thing. That's what, that's what the scripture is talking about. You know, the universe that, does the same thing and puts you right in the path of what you should be doing. If you ignore it several times, it will push you intensely. So I know T-Rex wants to say something. And Gabe, I know that you've got yourself up into the game and the mix, which is good. So, Trent? Yeah, I I actually have to run. But I just wanted to throw a name out there. I was wondering if Myron had heard of Sean Thornton before. He's an artist that had, like, pineal tumor. Um, and yes, yes. okay. I, I'm just curious if others had run across him because I think his story is a uh, give a quick overview, uh, quick I, overview, Trent. So, Sean had uh, a tumor in his brain and it produced these crazy images, and his artwork is just phenomenal. It's one of the closest to the DMT experience that I've seen. Um, I his it's just unlike anything else which is how i describe a dmt experience it's it's unique and completely different and he he captures it but then his uh tumor was removed and his artwork is still still crazy but he said that his uh experiences i guess had kind of fell away with that being removed i just i don't know the science of what happened to him or any of that i just i love his art and i know it had to do something with a brain tumor and i think um anthony peak interviewed him i'm not too sure if my brain's recording it i'm just pulling up a website and we're talking sean with a w yeah yes s-h-a-w-n yeah, yeah. so i've got him yeah i'll put that into the shared yeah, section it's fantastic I mean, Sorry. it's one of the reasons why when people look at my art that, you know, they've never, they, I've never gotten a bad review because I've shown all over the world because nobody's ever seen anything that looks like my work ever. Right. And, and it's all because it comes from this part of the brain that, that is cut off from most people's experience. And, and, um, it, and that, and that, that happens to a few artists, not very many. Uh, most of it's contrived, you know, no matter how surreal it may look, it's not really that surreal. It's it's really uh, structured and thought out and brilliantly rendered, but it's not surreal. It's not it doesn't come from a place of knowledge. It comes from a place of 
knowing how to make these images and how to make them look. And when you when you run across an artist like the one you were just describing, um, and and myself, you'll see that it, it looks it looks is so different than anybody else's that there's no explanation for it. And that's the all the, all the newspapers I've ever gotten reviews, and they've always said the same thing, and that is, we just don't we don't know how to review this because we just don't know where this comes from. You know, we've never seen anything like that. And um, and I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that what that is is that's that's that experience inside of me that's creating the images. I don't take responsibility for that. I don't even take I don't even take the the glory for it. I I always say, hey, this is this is this energy that's inside of me. It has nothing to do with Myron Dial. It has to do with this energy that is inside of me and wants out and wants to be recorded. So I make a record of it. You know, and then I do other paintings that are, you know, autobiographical, but the ones that are archetypal and the sculptures that are archetypal, you know, um, you know. I think one of the best things that you told me, Myron, was that at one stage you never wanted to actually put it out there. And it's the fact that the energy and Carol actually said, no, you got to put it out there, which is a fascinating thing because so many people that I've come across organically we're doing things for themselves, whether it be writing books, well, not writing books, collecting data or doing art, and then something else pushes them to actually put it into the public domain. And they've never really wanted to do it. They weren't looking to grab the limelight. It was just something that needed to get out there. Yeah, that's right. And, and it has a life of its own, you know, and that life of its own, you know, supersedes your ego. You know, I mean, I was scared to death to let people see my stuff. You know, I, first of all, I thought it would take, you know, take away my career and everything else. And, and it, it, it ultimately did that. But uh, it gave me a new career, but but it did take the old one away. But the um, uh, the artists are artists. There aren't many artists that are spiritual artists. Most of them are, you know, playing games that with culture and stuff but uh, there are some that are and, there, and that includes that includes musicians too by the way um, uh, since I'm a musician as well as an, uh, as an artist but yeah you're, you're right I, I did not want to show this to anybody ever that I, I never intended to do that I intended to take it to burning man and burn it all all seven thousand works. I'm sorry about laughing there, Myron. I just heard Tigger was making a contribution. <laughs> Meowing in the background. Yeah, that's uh, that's my uh, black cat. <laughs> it's okay, too. Excellent. Now, I have to say, we're into the last 15 minutes at least, so if anybody wants to say anything, I know Gabe, you wanted to get up there. And evening, Estevelle, nice to see you. Haven't seen you for a while, which is good. And also, Mark Allen, nice to see you in. And Miro, Gabe, did you want to say something? Oh, you you can't talk at the moment. So, Trent. Yeah, I'll just say farewell. I uh, appreciate the chat. This is a great topic, and it all started with a uh, chat with the magnificent, wonderful RN Boot. So, what a great day! Thank you. Oh, definitely. Thank you for coming along and spending your time because I know how busy you are during the day. Yeah, I, I wouldn't miss this one. So, thank you.
hopefully we will have other ones that you won't want to miss. And I'm just going to basically say in the top there, I've put the artist Sean Thornton as well, his website. And again, on Thursday, we've got Laird Scranton coming. And obviously, if you want to come to that, it's a Zoom one. You'll need to register and we will be doing it at the 7 o'clock UK time. Awesome. It will be good. Hopefully you will be there. I will try. No, that's the Zoom. <laughs> that's the Zoom one, right? Okay, Mara, I couldn't hear that at all. Is that, the, is that the Zoom one? That's the Zoom one, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. That'll work that, well. That's Thursday, right? That's Thursday coming up. Yeah. Okay. All right. I was lucky enough to be able to get two going on at the same time. Yeah, I was kind of surprised, but yeah, that's that's cool. Nice All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to go too, and it was. It was great. I thought the uh, discussion was really, really great. You know, I'm glad you enjoyed it because it's just nice to have so many different topics that come in and overlay, and we find combinations. It's good. Yeah, I think so too. You know, and and I don't, you know, and I live, I live pretty much by myself, and and I don't get to discuss this much with people. So it's it's great to have a forum to do it on. You know, I mean, I listen Definitely. to my podcast, but it's anyway. So. I am going to feed my cat, who was just complaining, and um, I'm going to go feed myself, which is even more important. Definitely. And then uh, I'll see you on Thursday, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. Definitely. Fingers crossed for everybody being there who wants to be there, which is great. Indeed. Bye-bye. Bye. So Gabe had a bad signal, and he went out again. So if anybody wants to say anything, now's the time to raise your hand to get the invitation so you can talk. I'll just talk since I'm the only other speaker. Thanks, Paul, again. I'm glad I get to jump on at the end. Oh, no problem. It's nice that you can bounce in and out multiple times. It's good fun when you get the opportunity with these things. And And, uh, I'll I'll see you on Thursday. I might be a little late, but I'll but I'll. That's okay. We've definitely got an hour and a half, so that will be fantastic with going over all the different topics and cultures. Nice. Thanks. Ciao. No problem. Bye. Last chance, if you want to raise your hand to have a quick chat, I'll give you the opportunity, Gabe. <laughs> See if your signal got any better. Suddenly, all these ones have gone to connecting. And right, Miro, nice to see you. Right, I know Miro's phone's always has an issue where he can't get hold of it. Otherwise, we'd just be talking to silence. No, it's all going wrong. Sorry, Brad. Everybody else. Right, so you can't talk, unfortunately. Right. That's not a problem. So as I said, um, we've been getting events in, and if you've recently turned up and don't realize, we've got Laird Scranton on Thursday, UK time, 7 p.m., and that's a Zoom one. And then we've got on the 22nd, we got Mike Frito doing his one on imagination, consciousness, and revolution. And then on the 23rd, we've got Stephanie Quick doing her one on synchronicity at 7 p.m. And then we go to April, and then that would be the 6th of April. We got Anthony Peake doing two sessions, a 9 until 11, and then 3 till 5 on a meet and greet. And again, uh, those will be good ones and events, and they're all in the link which is attached to this account. Mark. Hi, how are you? Doing well. I'm... Navigating Los Angeles today, so um, mostly been. I want to just thank you. You know, I promote your 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 space and your shows um, a lot in my places, 
and uh, you know, really, really uh, value uh, the contributions that you make that you have on. So is enlightening. Thank you very much for saying that. As a, um, hopefully the audio went well for everybody else who's coming in and out with uh, obviously where you're driving, but it's the community and the people that come and chat. It's amazing what we've been finding out recently with uh, what's been going on. So again, if people want to listen into Mark's topics of conversation and you'll find them in the bio, he does very good conversations as well. And you bring people in who know their things and allow you to speculate in a nice, calm manner and converse as well. So that's great. So this is it. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> I was going to say that um, we, we were super fortunate to um, have Gary Nolan uh, last week. Uh, um, and um, there's a, I think it's, I think it's on my landing page. Um, you know, about a four hour conversation, but um uh, it was really fantastic. And in a lot of the things that we had suspected about him, um, he, you know, came out and, um, uh, started discussing. Uh, so I, I know it's, it's a, it's a four hour chat. I think it may be the last two hours or, or the best, but, um, many of the topics, um, that you cover, um, with, uh, you know, uh, brain damage, um, uh, remote viewing, automatic downloads. Um, you know, he touched on all of that. Uh, so he gave us some, uh, some really great insight, which was cool. Um, and again, um, gosh, man, uh, these, uh, spaces that you're doing are, are just really incredibly valuable. All I can tell is it's the people and, uh, they're all making the time to come out all the day and, come and play in our sandbox and it's nice of you to be here on our six month anniversary which is quite amazing i know will we make it to the seventh month this is what's the thing to find <laughs> so all fun and games you'll make it for sure all right i gotta jump off i hope you guys have a lovely day and yourselves i'm gonna make it that way as well if anybody else wants to say goodbye or hello i'm literally gonna do it in the next two minutes shutting down the room well, then nobody's put their hands up. Okay, well, everybody have a good time, and thank you very much for turning up for this event, and it has been fantastic. Remember, if you want to come and talk to Led Granton on Thursday, go and hit the invitation in the Zoom link. To help our research and understanding, leave Perceptions Today's podcast reviews, subscribe to the podcast, along with the other social media accounts, and share. Come and join our live events. That way we can get together and have thoughtful discussions along with advancing our understanding of concepts as we go along.